It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. I am here with one of my favorite people on earth, Anna Gastelli, who trained me to be a yoga teacher and from whom I continue to learn important stuff about yoga and life all the time. Thank you for joining me, Anna Gastelli. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So Anna, I wanted to talk about your business for people who don't know about curvy yoga. Please tell them about the magic that you have made. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to describe curvy yoga as body-affirming yoga for people of all shapes and sizes. And really what I mean by that is that it's a place where you will be offered options for yoga poses that work for your body. Oftentimes, more mainstream yoga kind of focuses on one particular body type, and that body type is often already thin, fit and flexible, non-injured, no illness. And when we think about most bodies, that's not most bodies. (laughs) Most bodies have many other things going on with them. So it's a place where you can really be met in your unique body and also a place where there can be some facilitation of body acceptance through yoga. I really think about yoga as a tool for body acceptance because it is a very potent way to learn about, learn from your body. Because in classes, teachers are asking you things like, what are you noticing in your right leg? And for me, when I first started practicing yoga, I was just like, "What is this a metaphor? Like people are not <laughs> able to feel things like this. I just did not even think that was true. And through practice, I realized, oh, I, had, I was so far away from my body at the time. I wasn't able to feel that. But through the practice and continually asking and noticing, I developed the ability to feel those things. And I think that's really the basis of what we need for accepting our bodies. It's not only a mind or belief thing. I think that's an important part of it. But if you don't know how your body is feeling, it's difficult to be in a relationship with it. I think about it like a relationship with a friend or someone you meet. It's difficult to develop a relationship when you don't know anything about that person. And I think of yoga as what can help facilitate the relationship. Which is a hard thing to get your mind around if you don't have that relationship, right? Like, that's a tough entry point. I remember when I found you. So I found you when I was on maternity leave with my older daughter, Jane, on Twitter. When I found the end of the internet because I was breastfeeding. And I was sitting (laughs) all the time just reading Twitter. 
So um, I found you then, and I remember being really intrigued, and I did start practicing yoga after Jane was born, largely because I found your post so inspiring. But I did have this sense of like a relationship with my body. And I think that giving birth and getting into yoga around the same time was helpful in, in helping me understand what that could be like. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a tough one for people who, who haven't gone there before. Yeah. I mean, myself included. <laughs> I, started, <laughs> I started practicing yoga because I had chronic migraines and somebody had told me it might help. And I was so desperate for any kind of pain relief that I was just like, great, I'll do it. Um, and maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but it just kind of got me into yoga. And I had no desire to accept my body at the time. I didn't think that that was a thing. I am a lifelong dieter who's been on many, many, many dozens of different diets in my life. And so when I came to yoga, I had that same mindset. I was just like, I'm here. Maybe it'll help my migraines. Maybe it'll help me lose weight. Who knows? And that's what I think is interesting about yoga is that it is something that develops, I think, over time, which is hard for us as humans, right? Like we want to just kind of go and be like, now I accept my body and I know how to have a relationship with it. Um, But I love the framework of practice because I think both yoga and body acceptance are really true practices in the sense of it's not something that happens instantaneously, but it is one of those things where as you continue, you look back and see oh, I'm really noticing that I'm not having the frequency of negative thoughts about my body that I used to. Or I noticed that I wore this and I didn't think of all the things that people were thinking negatively about me, potentially. That it's just a little um, build up over time. I think similarly to yoga with body acceptance, there's a lot of kind of, you know, celebrate your body. Your body is amazing, which I think is important and we need. But I also think it can give the idea that you're just going to kind of flip a light switch and become body accepting. And like that, like that's the end of the conversation. Like you did it and now you can move on with your life. And in my experience, it's layers of uncovering and it's not something that just is automatically done. Even for me now, probably having done it for definitely more than 10 years, I can totally see such a difference in how I relate to my body. But also I still have negative thoughts come up about my body sometimes. I am definitely not at the, oh, my body's amazing stage. And I don't (laughs) know that that's going to be part of my experience. Mm -hmm. What I think yoga has been so helpful with is is observing the body neutrally. You know, you've probably heard yoga teachers, if you're listening to this podcast, say things like, just observe your thoughts without judgment. And I mean, that is in and of itself, like a much more difficult instruction than it sounds like just rolling off the tongue of a yoga teacher. Yeah. But the most concrete example that I have of what yoga has done for me, I had this terrible pain in my knee for a while. It just hurt so badly. And I kept thinking, I probably need to go get like an MRI or something to figure out what's going on with this knee. And then one day I was driving to work and my knee was just really, really hurting. And I looked down and I noticed that I was letting my knee like fall out to an angle when I was driving, maybe like a 45 degree angle or something to the left. It was my left knee. And I thought, 
I'm taking my knee out of alignment every time I drive. And what would happen if I stopped doing that? And it probably took two weeks and my knee stopped hurting. Oh my gosh. And I really think that that's, that's how I can come to understand a relationship with my body. It's just neutral. It's not that I love it or dislike it. It's that I am with it and able to discern what's happening in it without wholesale needing an expert to explain it to me every time. I mean, a doctor never would have been able to help me understand what I was able to understand about my knee because the doctor is not in the car with me every single day and looking for that kind of problem. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of that neutral place has worked Mm -hmm. for me in terms of relationship with my body. Yeah. I feel the same is true for me. I mean, the number of times that I think my body is amazing, I could probably count on one hand in the last 10 years. It's just not something that I think or go to. And I think that that's true for many people. I think of it very similarly to what you were saying, which is really noticing how I'm feeling and letting that be the guide into the relationship where it's not, I think neutral is a perfect way to describe it. You're just kind of like, oh, I'm noticing this is happening in my knee or in my feelings, you know, in so many different places. And that's why I like to use the language of body affirming um, as opposed to body positive most of the time, because I think a lot of times when we use a phrase like body positive, it can feel like if I don't feel positive, because the word positive has been foregrounded all of the time, then there's no place for me in this. There's no place for me in having a relationship with my body. I'm not doing it right, you know, whatever. And I feel like, I feel like you'll probably agree with this, Beth, but the we don't really need more things to feel like we're not doing right, especially body acceptance. It's like the last thing that we need (laughs) to feel that way about. And to me, being body affirming is really that neutral place of just being like, this is my body. This is what's happening right now. How can I support myself and be with myself in this moment? And you have such genius ways of instructing yoga teachers, I think, to be body affirming something that you taught me that I have thought about in so many contexts besides yoga of instructing the most supported version of something and then Mm -hmm. going to the least supported instead of starting with the least supported and then saying, but if that doesn't work for you, here's like an easier way to do it. And I don't know how you came up with that, but I mean, brilliant. I mean, probably (laughs) my own stubbornness because I, (laughs) I feel like I, like many people, hate being told, if you can't do this, then here's something else that works better for you. And I think it sets up an unnecessary and arbitrary ideal of how bodies work. And in my experience, both in my own body and teaching, bodies just move in so many different ways. And it's different for each student from day to day. Something that worked for you yesterday may be very different today in any direction, really. And so I think the more that we can say, okay, here, here's the most supportive version. Here are a lot of different options for you to experiment with. It just gives people permission to breathe and be where they are and not worry about competition or what other people are doing because they know that different things are already happening in the room. And yeah, as I'm saying that, I'm also thinking of many different contexts (laughs) where that would be relevant. Yes. Well, and it's, 
interesting to observe a class of yoga students when you use language like we're talking about and you can see people noticing that something different is happening you can see people like oh my gosh like she just told me that my balance is a function of lots of things that change day to day it's not like that one time I managed to stand in tree perfectly. And so I should forever be able to do that for increasingly long periods of time. Right. And, and I think that does, it has shown me in such a tangible way that we are not supported anywhere very well, honestly, mm. in our mm-hmm. workplaces, in our relationships, the way we parent, the way we teach kids. There are very few spaces where someone is saying, Let's walk into this one step at a time and you decide where you want to take it from here and don't necessarily view a change as a setback. Right. Yeah. See change as an an inevitable part of life. I really think a lot about the ebbs and flows and seasons of life. I feel like we are constantly in that kind of flux, whether it's in our bodies changing. You know, I think the other side of the yoga pose never changing is the supposition that our bodies will never change. And of course that's not true for so many different reasons. And I think we get a lot of messages that it's a problem if your body changes. And the more I think we can normalize the fact that that's just how bodies work. It's it's not right. It's not wrong. It just is the more space we can really give ourselves. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Talking to a student of mine last night, he is a super fit guy, like total kind of crossfitter, you know, mm-hmm. body. And he comes to my yin class. And so if, mm. you, if you've not taken a yin class and you're listening in, in yin, you're holding the poses for sometimes five minutes, seven minutes even. It's a very um, meditative practice. And you're never trying to go to your body's limit in a yin pose. You want to be in a space that you can hold the pose for some time so that your body can really work with like the connective tissue and the joints. So anyway, uh, he was leaving the class and he heard one of my other students who's been with me a long time saying that the practice was really challenging and she feels like I have gotten a little more challenging in my instruction lately. And I was saying, please tell me if it's too much. I just know some of you have been coming for so long. I want to make sure that, you know, you're still getting out of it what you're looking for. And he overheard the conversation. He came up to me and he said, it is not too hard. It is perfect. And you give all these options. And every week I get a little bit better. And I said, thank you so much. I also just want to say, I want you to define better broadly. Because Mm -hmm. if you do not find one week that you have increased your flexibility, that doesn't mean that your practice was worse than the week before. 
And that kind of nonlinear assessment of the yoga practice is really challenging for people. But I think that's what has the capacity to like, not to be dramatic, but change your life, you know? I I was going to say blow your mind. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. All the amens and hallelujahs to that because it's, it's so true, you know, and there's so much application. I think that's also what helps yoga to translate into our relationship with our body because we are learning those lessons on the mat. I think about the mat as a lab or a test kitchen, whatever kind of language you want to use. And then you see like, oh, I've learned this lesson that what does it mean to be better? How am I defining that? What does it mean if I'm not quote unquote better next week? Does that mean I'm a failure as a human being? Oh, no. It's just (laughs) how bodies, you know, learn and respond to things. And who knows what I've done in the intervening week to maybe be less flexible that week or whatever. There's so many different contexts. And then I'm sure listeners can think of how many different ways that applies in every part of life, whether that's work or relationships or how you think about your own body. Bringing those lessons to bear is what I find really valuable about the practice. What has that taught you outside of yoga about things like eating and sleeping and other ways of being in relationship with your body? Oh my gosh, where to begin? (laughs) So many things. You know, you mentioned eating first. Like I mentioned, I have been on a million different diets in my life and I was used to having something external to say, here is what you eat. Here's when you eat. It doesn't matter if you're hungry. It doesn't matter if you're full. It doesn't matter if you're tired. Here is what you do. And so I believe through that process, I really lost a lot of my ability to even notice when I was hungry or full, what really felt good for my body and when. And again, over the course of plenty of time and therapy, I know a hot topic on the nuanced life (laughs) and many other things, including yoga, I really started to feel like what I am eating in any given moment is not a reflection on who I am as a person. It's not going to make or break my health overall. And that when I can let myself be in that, ebb and flow that we talked about, I find that my eating is much more diverse in the sense of different things are interesting to me at different times and nourishing to me. And I just feel better and less charged than when I was more externally referenced. I became more internally referenced over time. And it just is so much less loaded for me, which is really interesting. I was at a retreat um, as a participant maybe a year or two ago, and we had all of this like beautiful and delicious food, and I was in line behind another woman, and she said, oh, this looks so good, you know, kind of like whispering over her shoulder to me, I can't imagine how many calories it has. And just in that moment, I thought, I literally don't know how many calories this food has, which is something I would have had on the tip of my tongue you know, 10 or 20 years ago. And it felt like such a relief to be like, I'm just going to eat this food, like however much feels good to me in this moment. And that's it. I'm just going to enjoy it. And I don't want to make that sound like it's simple. It has been, like I said, 10 years and a lot of different support. But I think when we can come from that approach, it really can change everything because it's taking the morality, the right and wrong 
the I'm a good person or a bad person out of the moment to moment decisions, whether that's, you know, eating, sleeping, a conversation with your partner or your kid, et cetera. I love that. And as people who listen to Sarah and I talk a lot know, I'm such a proponent of taking the morality out of everything and letting (laughs) it just be as it is. The other thing I've realized with eating, I was having a conversation with one of my coaching clients about how it is so much easier to develop a habit through addition than subtraction. Mm, mm -hmm. So it's so much easier to say, I want to drink more water than I want to stop drinking Diet Coke. Yeah. Right. And to me, the process is when when you start to look at food and think, I want to nourish my body more effectively, mm-hmm. that's a much better space for me than I don't want to eat the cake Yeah, because of how many well, calories are in the cake. Exactly. Well, and I would say the other piece of that, I want to drink more water that you so you know, beautifully included, as you said, I'm just going to drink more. You didn't say, I'm going to drink X amount of ounces, no matter what. And if I don't, then I like messed up and now I should just go back to square one. It's like, oh, I would just like to drink more water. Let me just kind of bring that into my life and see what happens. That is what I tell people all the time in my coaching practice too. When we talk about making change, you need an inch strategy, not a mile strategy. Yes. You, you don't, it doesn't need to be, I'm going to run a 5k at the end of the year. It can be, I'm going to um, walk for 10 minutes in the morning for a while and see what it feels like and see if that works for me and see if it's something that I can keep up. But I think that directly comes from the way you instruct yoga, honestly, Mm. because I feel like your approach to yoga is always an invitation. Mm. And it's just, here is the shape that your body can start to make. And you always use the word toward. I feel like I use toward constantly (laughs) because of you. Because you're always saying, like, you want your arm to go toward the mat, right? It's not you want to touch the mat, and if you can't, here's what you do. And that kind of um, expression of what you're trying to accomplish, to me, is just really door-opening. Mm. Yeah, it's like um, freedom within some gentle guidelines that you have set for yourself. You know, on the yoga mat, that's the parameters of safety and alignment. Of course, it's not a total free-for-all, but there's a lot of freedom and individuality between those fairly general safety guidelines. And I think the same is true when we're talking about application of this approach to so many other parts of life. I think we have a million different messages that we get from capitalism and lots of different other (laughs) things that say, here is a goal that you're working towards and you need to like give it 150% at all times or else you failed and you have to like start paying for this program over again or whatever the case is. Whereas when you move in that inch versus mile approach that you mentioned, we develop, I think, less resistance because it's more shape to our actual lives. And what I find is that when I can come from that approach of I'm going to walk for 10 minutes, then I see like, oh, this felt pretty good. And maybe today I'll walk for 12 minutes or the next day, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to walk for eight, you know, like whatever. It's not so much framed around a particular goal, but more letting yourself feel it. And then though I think this is counterintuitive in many ways, what I see time and time again is that people get further, quote unquote, whatever that means for them, 
when they take that approach because they haven't developed resistance and also their body hasn't developed resistance because when we push the body too far we think like oh i need to like go to the maximum edge of this stretch well our bodies are really smart and when we do that the body tenses up to prevent us from getting injured and so in that case we've created the exact opposite of what we were looking for which was gradually increasing our flexibility and set our bodies like i have to be really conscious here because otherwise she's gonna you know tear a muscle or do do, do whatever even just strain it um, and i think that that application is really broad yes i believe that smart goals are the dumbest idea we've ever had like this idea <laughs> that everything has to be so defined and measured without any kind of consideration of everything happening around you the like how static that is is ridiculous and i feel like another thing about about supportive body affirming yoga is that you're always saying here is what the actual objective is we are trying to lengthen the hamstring right, right. and that's completely different than we are trying to touch our toes mm-hmm. and staying focused on what we're actually trying to accomplish is game changing. And and I, I that's how I feel about business and life and everything else. What are we really trying to accomplish? Not what yardstick did we set with perhaps much less information than we have today. Right. Yeah, when we were talking before we hopped on for the podcast, you said, how can I focus on what's important today? Or how can I know what's important today? And I think it's a very similar approach to what you were just saying. Yes. Given everything that I know right now, you know, what, mm-hmm. what is important and understanding that that will change. Yeah, right. And that that's an ongoing conversation and evolution and relationship and all of those things. So if I'm listening right now and all of this sounds fine, but also like something that happens in a different galaxy <laughs> than yeah. where I live, mm-hmm. what, how should I get started to to move toward this kind of um, (laughs) feeling about my body. (laughs) I think particularly if people are interested in yoga, then finding a class and a teacher that's a good fit for you is a great place to start. And for some people that's going to be in person. And for some people that's going to be at home, whether that's with a DVD or an online program, there's so many different options out there. And the number one thing that I want people to hear particularly if they're new, but even if you're not new and you've had some experiences in yoga and you're kind of like, eh, or I didn't like it, is that it truly is an experiment and a process in finding a teacher that works for you. So if you go to a class and you're like, what is this teacher talking about? It was too hard. It was too easy. Whatever the case, if it's not the right fit for you, that doesn't mean that yoga itself is not the right fit for you. The beauty of how many different teachers we have these days is that there are so many different options out there, like I said. And if there aren't very many or any in your local community, then you can use the beauty of the internet to find some options too. It's kind of like finding the right person to cut your hair. You know you're not going to knock it out of the park necessarily with the first person. Sometimes it takes a little time to find that fit. But I do believe that it's possible to find that fit no matter what your body needs. There's chair yoga, senior yoga, prenatal yoga, so many different styles. I think you can find something. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, I don't know if people realize, like, there are not yoga police running around enforcing, like, this is how you have to do it. And so especially, like, the studio I teach in, one of the things I love about it is that everybody is completely different. And mm. you can go to a class that has the same name and description um, as another class from another instructor and have a completely different experience. And I think that's yeah. really cool. It also is overwhelming sometimes and a little bit time consuming. Right. Yeah, I definitely recommend, particularly for people who might be new or looking for classes that are maybe called beginners, gentle, hatha, slow flow, maybe chair, alignment based. Those are some kind of key words that you could look for that are going to indicate to me as a teacher that the the person teaching the class is probably going to be using at least some different pose options, maybe some yoga props, which are tools that we use to make the poses more accessible, um, and that they'll have a bit of an eye toward making the class more inclusive. So let's talk about that for a second, because going into a studio for the first time was terrifying to me. I had this I image know. of only wealthy, willowy white women. And <laughs> while I have um, some of those attributes, I definitely do not have others. <laughs> and so uh, so it was nerve wracking for me to just show up in a studio with a larger body, knowing that I was not going to be instantly flexible, knowing that I had no clue what I was doing. What advice do you have for people about that first experience if they choose to go to a studio? Yeah. I mean, first of all, same. I definitely think it can be very intimidating to go to a studio. Um, there are different ways that you can get a feel for what the class might be like. So most studios will have some kind of a web presence. So taking a look at what they say about the class, the images they use for the class, you know, are there, is there a diversity of bodies represented if they have photos? Um, you can even talk to the teacher, particularly if you have a specific concern or question. I think it's fine to email the teacher ahead of time and say like, hey, I'm just wondering if this class might be a good fit. Here's what I have going on with my body. Um, if you can bring a friend with you, sometimes that makes it feel a little bit less scary. So that might be something if you have a friend there. Um, there also are so many more classes that are specifically um, body affirming. So at curvyyoga.com, we have a list of all of our certified teachers and we have, I think around 400 around the world right now. So you might have someone near you or you might look for a class called something like yoga for everybody or something like that. Um, there are more and more of those options available these days too. I can't believe you have 400 teachers out there. That's so cool. I know. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, and talking about um, different teachers taking different approaches, during my teacher training with you, you know, at the end, we all had to instruct a practice. And everyone who had just done this training with me over the course of a year was radically different. Like, there were moments when I was like, did we all do the same training? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> but I don't think you realize until you start teaching how much of a factor personality is. 
Yeah, it's huge. And I always want our teachers to be able to bring their personality, their interests, the way that they language and think things to bear, because I think that that is ultimately more transformative for both the teacher and the student, much more so than if I were to just like give you a script and say, go out into the world and just teach this script. I think teaching is very embodied and that that is something that is particularly relevant for yoga. So, okay, that's the yoga side. If I am interested in intuitive eating or, or overcoming some kind of really negative uh, narration about my body, <laughs> how would you recommend I get started with that? So I'm a total book person. I always get started with books. <laughs> so there's a great book actually called Intuitive Eating, which is a wonderful resource. And I could send a list of body acceptance books if you want to include them, Beth, that I think would be a good fit. I think like whether you're a book person or not, I think the general concept of finding support that's relevant to you is really useful. So I mentioned for me, part of that was therapy. For you, it might be a Facebook group. It might be talking to a friend. There's so many different ways. But I think without some kind of support, it's very difficult to know how to enter into this experience. Because I know that when I started thinking about body acceptance, I literally just had no frame of reference for it. Having been on so many different diets over the years, if someone would have said, just listen to your body, and people did say that, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that that was even a thing. I had no idea how to do it. The first therapist that I went to focused on these kinds of intuitive eating issues, and she had me do this hunger satiety scale after every meal. So I had to kind of mark down like how hungry was I before, how full was I after on a scale from one to 10. And for I think six months at least, I just lied every single meal. I was like, maybe I was, a th I was like always a three and always a seven after because I just had no idea. And I don't think about that now. It's not like before every meal, I'm like, oh, I'm a 2.8. You know, it's just <laughs> kind of like um, a general thing. But I think the more support that you can find, the better for sure. Yeah. I've done a million diets as well. And I'm always at my I don't know, most unhappy and most kind of disconnected when I'm trying to diet. It, I know some people love rules and God mm -hmm. bless them. If Sarah were here, she would say, but some of us need rules. Right. And, and I think that's the other thing to say. Like if, if you're a rules person and that is mm -hmm. supportive to you, great. What has been so freeing to me about your work and, and the work of other people in this area is hearing you might not be a rules person like, mm -hmm. and there is nothing wrong with that. And there is a way yep. that, that is much more about your own sense of what's happening in your body. It just requires the commitment to learn how to observe yourself, which yeah, is like, I, that, what you, that's what you want to run from, right? Like I spent right. all this time wanting to run from observing myself, but. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think I felt like observing myself was a bad idea, honestly, yeah. for a long time. And I was just thinking as you were talking about rules, because I think that's so true. If people are hearing this and thinking, oh my gosh, I can't function without rules. I really think, like we talked about earlier, that both body acceptance and yoga have some general ideas, blueprints, guidelines, et cetera, that can really give you something to 
I would say create a scaffolding for yourself as you figure out, okay, now what are those guidelines for myself? I'm taking them, these kinds of more general ones, and then I'm applying them to myself. Yes. And I think that um, is a perfect way to summarize a good starting place that, that you, even if you're a rules person, if you're looking for a different way to relate to yourself, there is a blueprint for you available. Yeah. And then you just have to remember, like with anything, a blueprint is the beginning, not the end. Yes. Thank you so much for talking to me, Anna. Thank you. This is a great conversation. And you know, I love you and the nuanced life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're my favorite and you are, I would say, one of my nuanced gurus. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Nuance Life is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. The Nuance Life is listener supported. For $5 a month, you'll receive an extra episode of The Nuance Life at patreon.com slash The Nuance Life. You can connect with us on our website, thenuancelife.com, and follow us on Instagram.